my name is Tim. I am the pastor of Waters Church North Attleboro, along with my wife Cheryl. A special welcome to you if you're here again for the first time. We're in a series called Daniel, and we're at part three, and we're in chapter two. So I'm going to ask you to take out your Bibles and turn with me to the second chapter of the book of Daniel. We're going to talk about troubled times um, in just a few moments. Just a reminder that this Wednesday is First Wednesday again. All the First Wednesday fans. We highly encourage you to come on out. It's one of the best times of our month. We pray and seek God from 6 to 7. And then from 7 to 7.30 we worship. 7.30 onward I preach. And I never know when I'm going to stop. And there's no complaining allowed. I'm just kidding. We're going to keep it shorter this week. Because we know we got uh, kids and school and homework and all that stuff. At least I know our family does. <laughs> and so we're going to try to keep it short. Get you out of here real early on Wednesday. But I encourage you to come on out and be a part of that uh, this week. Daniel chapter 2. We're going to talk about the first instance in which we have a, a recorded history in which Daniel and his three friends experienced trouble. Has anybody ever experienced trouble here? Like the most obvious yes question in the world. You're either coming out of trouble, in trouble, or going to trouble. And that's pretty much how life works. So this is a very appropriate message. I have no doubt that the Lord's going to speak to you today. We're going to look at this chapter in its entirety and I believe discover a better way to handle our trouble from Daniel. So before we get there, let's pray and ask God to bless this time together. Heavenly Father, we approach your word with humility and sincerity. And we ask that you will speak to us and that our hearts will be opened and our minds will be renewed and we will see Jesus. And we will know Jesus. And we will experience him. And we will become like him. I pray for every person, you know the trouble of their hearts and their minds. And you know what you're going to do in the midst of it. I pray that our hearts will have absolute certainty that you are working in troubled times. I ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. Here's how the trouble begins. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Okay, he can't sleep, he's having bad dreams. Anybody ever been there? He's having nightmares. Uh, the king, verse 2, commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, and the word for Chaldeans is, is just basically astrologers. That's what the Chaldeans were. That's what that means in this chapter. The astrologers, the enchanters, the sorcerers, all the magic arts and supernatural professionals are called into the king uh, to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And here's the request. The king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled. My spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldean said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show 
the interpretation. First thing I want to say is that you've got to understand that Nebuchadnezzar is troubled. He is the king of the world at this moment. I said a couple of weeks ago that he is this unrighteous, ungodly king that God uses to bring judgment on his people. Israel has been exiled to Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. The best of the best men have been brought into the palace. Daniel and his three friends. Nebuchadnezzar has wiped out every other nation on the face of the earth. And he sits right now at the pinnacle of his career. And it is there that God gives him dreams and his spirit is troubled. And he's so distressed that he calls everybody in to help him out. I find that interesting. He's at the top of his game and that is when the trouble starts. How many people beg, crawl, claw, climb their way to the top only to get to the top and realize that there's only one place to go from there? I think about our presidents and I, 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 I think to myself as I watch these men, what they go through and what they're put through, I ask myself, what normal thinking human being would ever want to be president of the United States? These guys spend millions of dollars and countless hours traversing this country to get to that office and they win and then the trouble begins. You ever look at the pictures of the presidents when they go into office and then when they come out, it's like they've aged 30 years in eight. Again, I, I'm aging fast enough as it is. I'll take my time. And this is an important uh, point, though, that we need to understand that, that we, we, we tend to think that as soon as we get there, we'll be good. And Nebuchadnezzar's proof positive, that's just not true. I, I read somewhere it's like that, that this is how the American mind works, and, and many Americans fall into this trap, that we spend the first 50 years of our life sacrificing health to get wealth. Then we spend the next 30 years of our life sacrificing our wealth to get back our health. That we climb to the top, we get to the top, we realize there's only one place to go from the top. And so Nebuchadnezzar is troubled. By the way, I would like to say, just as a side note, pray for your president. Anybody can criticize him. Anybody can get mad at him. Anybody can call him the devil. Our job as Christians is to pray for him. I hope you're doing that. And so he is troubled. And then you need to understand that this dream is from God. God is trying to speak to this man. And for the next three chapters of Daniel, that's exactly what God does. For three chapters, God is trying to speak to Nebuchadnezzar. And by the time you get to the end of chapter four, there's a good chance that this wicked, vile, evil king has come to a saving knowledge of the true God. And you, you might, I'm not sure, but you might meet Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. I'm not sure. But we'll look at that in weeks to come. Verse 5, this is what it says. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. So Nebuchadnezzar is king of the world. He's having nightmares, and he's grouchy. He wants them to do three things. Tell them the dream. 
Now that's interesting. He doesn't want them just to tell them the interpretation. He wants them to tell them a dream. I think that he's sick and tired of these guys playing games with him. They claim to have all this wisdom and knowledge and insight into the unseen supernatural realm, but I think that he's kind of sniffed out their hypocrisy and realized that basically these guys just tell him what he wants to hear. And so to prove that they're really able to do this, he wants them to tell him his dream. Tell me what I dreamt, then give me the, then number two, give me the interpretation, and then number three, if you don't, I'll kill you, but if you do it, I'll bless you with gifts and I'll honor you. And the text goes back and forth. The magicians reply, tell us a dream. He says, no, you tell me the dream. It goes back and forth for a few verses, picking up in verse 10 of Daniel chapter two. Here's how the magicians and the wise men and the astrologers of Babylon reply. Verse 10, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great or powerful king has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. In other words, Nebuchadnezzar, you have lost it. This is a ridiculous request. We could not possibly do this. Nobody's ever asked this of us, and you have no right to ask this of us. Look at verse 11. They say, the, king, the thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. They throw their hands up, and they say, no way. Here's, what this, here's how the king responds, verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions. Remember, they were brought into the palace of the king as wise men because they honored God. Chapter one, we read about that last week. And now... They are about to be killed along with the rest of the wise men. They're in trouble too. And this is what happens, verse 14. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. Somebody say prudence and discretion. Remember last week we talked about having the right response. The, I mean, the, the, not the right response, the right approach. This is exactly what Daniel has in this moment. The right approach. Uh, to be a Christian is not to look down your nose at everybody else. To be a Christian is not to act like you're holier than thou. To be a Christian is not to act like you have your act together and everybody else is uh, fit to be tied and they all need your advice because you're a Christian and they're not. Uh, some of you are Christians. You're the only Christian in your family and, and you have this tendency to look down your nose at everybody who's not a Christian. I'm asking you. I'm begging you. I'm imploring you. Stop. Be nice. For Jesus' sake, be nice. You are a Christian. Don't give them more fodder to hate Christianity. Okay, so this is what he does. He responds to the man who's about to kill him with prudence and discretion and the captain of the king's guard. And he says, he, uh, verse 15, he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. In verse 16, and Daniel went in. Look at what he does. He goes into the king and he requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. The text is doing something very specific here. It's showing us that the troubled times that start with Nebuchadnezzar and extend to his wise men, his enchanters, his astrologers, 
the ungodly men in Babylon also extends to the godly men in Babylon, Daniel and his three friends. How many know that trouble is no respecter of persons? It comes to the godly and the ungodly. Jesus said that the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. The sun shines on the just and the unjust. Trouble happens. And being a Christian is not an exemption from the reality of the human experience. You're a human, you will experience trials, difficulties, trouble, and hardship. And what the text is doing here in Daniel chapter 2 is it's showing us deliberately the different responses between the wise men of Babylon, the ungodly, and the godly. And there is a huge difference not in the trouble experienced, but in the response to the trouble between the ungodly and the godly. And that's the first thing that you need in troubled times if you're taking notes. Number one, in troubled times, you need a different response. If you are a Christian, you must respond to trouble with a different attitude, with a different mindset. Being a Christian does not exempt you from trouble, but it gives you the ability to respond to trouble, not in the manner of people who do not know God. We need to stop acting like we have got these perfect lives and everything is okay and it's supposed to be okay because we are Christians. That is nonsense. Life has a way of handing non-Christians and Christians the same garbage, the same marital problems, the same teen problems, the same child rearing problems, the same retirement problems, the same money problems, the same social problems. If you're single, you're going to face the same relationship problems. Being a Christian doesn't exempt you from problems, but here's what it does. It gives you hope in the midst of the problem that you know. You know your God is for you, not against you. You understand that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You know no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. You know that God has you in the palm of his hand and no man shall pluck you out. And you know that in all things God is working for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. You must have a different response. You will experience the same troubles. Some Christians try, try, try to avoid the troubles. I know what we're going to do. We're going to avoid the world and we're going to live a perfect Christian experience. We're going to homeschool our children and cancel cable. <laughs> and you'll find very quickly that that's not going to take the troubles of life away because the problem is not out there. The problem is in here. And you have it sitting there pumping blood <laughs> through your veins and giving you all kinds of issues. And you can't avoid it. But you can respond better to it. Amen. To face your difficulties. This is what Daniel does. He says, give me some time, king. I will have the response you need. That, my friends, is faith. To say to your problem, I know you're here today, but pretty soon you'll be gone, and when you're gone, God will bless me. 
to say to the difficulties of your marriage, this is temporary. This is, this is just a test. This is my faith being stretched and pulled and, and put into these tense situations, not so that I throw my hands up like the wise men of Babylon and give up, but so that I stand up like, like Daniel and say, this too shall pass in Jesus' name. That's, that's faith. Jesus said in John 16, I have told you these things that you may have peace in me. In this world you will have, what's the word? Tribulation. Tribulation. That's a promise of Jesus. <laughs> Funny how nobody's putting that on their coffee cups. But what? But take heart. That's your job. Your job's not to avoid it. Your job is to take heart in it. And to know that Jesus has overcome the world. And he has won the battle ultimately for your soul. And God is in control. The Apostle Paul said, is in your notes, Acts 14, verse 22. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Sometimes Nebuchadnezzar is going to rear his ugly head and give you some trouble. How you respond makes all the difference to the people who know you. I read somewhere that the reason why God gives cancer to non-Christians as well as to Christians is so that the world will see the difference in response. I was in the hospital a couple months ago with our dear sister, Krista Payton, who had lost her battle with cancer. And as we were in the hospital praying, when we knew that it was, it was pretty much over at that moment, the nurse comes in to pray with us. She was a Christian. And we prayed for her. And, and I'll never forget what she told us in that room. She said... She said, you will not believe the difference. I do this all the time. I'm in all the rooms. This is my job. I go from room to room and help the family say goodbye. You will not believe the difference between the people who have faith and the spirit that is in those rooms and the people who have no faith. She says, you walk into a room where there's no faith in Jesus, there's no assurance, there's no hope in the afterlife, and it's hollow and empty and the faces when you walk into a room where there's believers they mourning they're sad they're crying but there's peace there's a sense of relief that though their body didn't get healed here it's going to get healed up there and ultimately they're going to come back in the resurrection of the righteous Some of you are saying, God, use me. God, use me. God, I want to be a witness for you. Watch him hand you some trouble. <laughs> that's, the, that's the stage on which he places you to be a witness and a shining example of how you, a blood-bought, born-again, spirit-filled son or daughter of God, will respond to it. Now, you may not like your stage. You might not like the props and the arrangement of the materials. Some of you might not like your co-actors. <laughs> but they've been given to you. How are you going to respond? We need to be people with a better response. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, we are afflicted. 
in every way but we are not crushed we are perplexed but not driven to despair we are persecuted but not forsaken we are struck down but not destroyed christian you will be perplexed you will be persecuted you'll be struck down you'll be afflicted but there's always a but at the end of your trouble and the reality is this that the death of jesus is going to be experienced in your life so that the resurrection power of jesus can also be experienced you never get to resurrection without first going through the cross and you're going to have to experience that and it's going to be the reality faith the bible says is the evidence of things unseen we see the trouble but your your response how you handle it is the evidence on which god places exhibit a to the world this is somebody that I changed. This is somebody that I call by my name. This is somebody who has hope beyond the trouble that they're experiencing. We need to be people of the better response. And the reason why we have a better response is because the grave is empty. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We need to start acting like that. We need to start acting like we truly believe that the grave is empty and Satan is defeated. We need to believe it and we need to act like we know our God has done it before and he'll do it again. And that ultimately whatever we experience in this life is for our good. If you don't have that hope, then you need to get reconnected with the story upon which our faith exists. This is not a do-good religion. This is not a be a nice person religion only. We want you to be nice, we want you to be good, we want you to do good, but this movement is founded on an event, and the event was the empty grave. That's why those guys went to their deaths proclaiming we saw him alive. You can take our lives now. The same thing that happened to him will happen to us. People of the better response. And the reason why Daniel has a better response is because number two in your notes, Daniel has better resources. This is why he lives with faith because he has a better support system in which to handle his difficulties. What, what is that system? Let's look, verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah his, what's the word? companions, verse 18, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed. Please note this, mo- uh, this, uh, this statement right here. We'll talk about it later. So that he and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So pray that, that we don't get killed with those guys. The first, res- the first resource Daniel has is that, number one, he gets with his godly friends and makes the matter known. Uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his three friends, guess what Daniel has right in the middle of Babylon? He has a small group. That's why we're always telling you, get into a small group. Because you never know when Nebuchadnezzar is going to have a bad dream. And you can get with your small group and you can pray and you can see God and you have friends who are godly Uh, Some people say, well, my family's my small group. Nope. 
your whole family's jacked up. <laughs> and you all agree that it's fine the way it is. You need somebody from the outside to say, no, you're jacked up. <laughs> but did you notice the names that were used for the three friends? Because they've been renamed by the Babylonians, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But back now, in the midst of trouble, Daniel says, no, 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 their names, I didn't forget this, their names are Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those are their Hebrew names, those are their God-fearing names, because Daniel wants to make sure that we understand that was who they were, that was their character, and their names mean Yahweh is gracious, Yahweh is the God of Israel, the true God, that's the God we serve. Yah there is no God like Yahweh, and Yahweh will help. This is who you need to surround yourself with when you're going through trouble. People who believe that God is good, there's nobody like Jesus, and he's going to help you. Stop getting around negative downers and people who don't have faith in the midst of your trials. Let me ask you a question. Who are you making your matters known to? Are you telling unbelievers? Why? <laughs> Tell believers for your sake. Hang out with people of faith. You're gonna work with unbelievers, you gotta go to school with unbelievers, you gotta live among unbelievers, and you're supposed to. But you gotta have that small group, that, that, that companionship of faith to say, I can tell these people that right now our marriage stinks. And they can pray for us. And sometimes they'll even say, hey, our marriage stinks too. <laughs> and just being in that companionship, right? Say, oh, it's so hard to be single and Christian. Uh, it's so hard. It's so hard. Stop it. Be the person of a better response. Find a small group with an attractive person of the opposite sex and marry them. It is not rocket science. For heaven's sakes. Do well, I have to write out directions for you? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> you need to get around people, though, who, 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 have, who have belief in Jesus, okay? And then the second resource that he has is he seeks God in prayer. Now, you're going to find this out about Daniel, that he's a serious man of prayer. Three times a day. Daniel would go up to his room, open the doors, open the windows to Jerusalem, and pray to God on his knees three times a day. Are, are you serious about prayer? Because you gotta be. This is Daniel the wise, Daniel the powerful, Daniel the gifted, Daniel the man who can do mighty and great things, Daniel the um, intellectual. And yet he's a serious man of prayer. Why do we divorce prayer from work and intellect. I say, pray as if it all depended on God and work as if it all depended on you. And let that be the, 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 the spectrum in which you live your life. Not just work hard, but pray hard. 
Not just work on your marriage, but pray for your marriage. Not just, tra- not just raise your children, but pray for your children every day. Every day, pray for your children. What do I pray for? Pray that the devil won't have his way with them, but God will have his way with them. Pray. Jesus was serious about prayer himself. It says in Luke chapter 5, 16, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6, 12. He went to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. He, Jesus, took with him, look at this, Peter, James, and John, his three friends, just like Daniel took his three friends, and went up to the mountain to pray. Pray together. Pray for each other in your small groups. That's what they're there for. Notice what happens next, verse 19 uh, of Daniel chapter 2. Then... The mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Verse 20. Daniel answered and said, blessed. Daniel answered and said. He answered. Who's he answering? He's answering God who has just spoken to him. And he says, he speaks it out. He vocalizes. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. And he worships God for three verses. Daniel was not just a man of prayer. Daniel was a man of praise. We need to praise God for what he does in our lives. And listen. Vocalize it. Say it. For heaven's sakes, say to God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that you have gotten me through another week. Every Sunday across the entire world, Christians gather in rooms like this, and they spend the first few minutes of their time together singing to God in worship. Why do we do that? Because the scriptures command us to sing to the Lord and worship him vocally. Well, I'm just not a singing kind of person. I would love to see you in the shower. <laughs> Some of you guys, I don't sing, I'm a guy. <laughs> you go to Gillette Stadium and you turn into a nutcase. <laughs> ah, ah, they got the ball across the line. Ah. I mean, you don't even have to go to the game, you watch it in your TV. Ah, ah. High five, yeah, we did it. No, you didn't do it. You were eating Cheetos. They did it. (laughs) I don't have a problem with that. That's fine. But when you come to church, why do you turn into a dead person? (laughs) How much time? How much time left? Is it almost over? Another song? Another song. Christian, fine. But if you're a Christian and if Jesus had saved you and you're going to heaven someday, start thanking Jesus. Start thanking him. Start loving on him. Amen. Verse 24, therefore Daniel, you got the answer, he praises God. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon He went in and said thus to him. 
do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. So he goes into the king. He tells the king his dream and the interpretation. I want to just summarize what happens next. He tells the king, okay, this is, how, this is your dream. The dream was of a statue. It was huge. It was impressive. It was shining. The head was of gold. The chest and the arms were silver. The torso was bronze. The legs were iron. And the feet were partly iron and partly clay. That's what he dreamed. And then Daniel tells him the, illustri- the, the interpretation. And he says, here's what God of heaven is showing you. You are the head of gold. And your kingdom has been given to you by the God of heaven. And after your kingdom falls, which I'm sure really thrilled Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> there's going to be another kingdom. That, now, Daniel doesn't name the kingdoms because he doesn't know their names yet, but we know their names historically. After the Babylonians came the Medes and the Persians. Now, he says the chest and the two arms were that kingdom. The Medes... And the Persians were kind of like this hybrid, two-armed kingdom. After them, we know this historically, not just in the Bible, it's historical, came the Greeks. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 2 that, that, that bronze kingdom conquers the whole world. We know this historically. It's Alexander the Great conquered the entire world. He was a Greek. He established a Greek nation. After the Greeks came the Romans, and they're the iron legs, and there's always two ways for Rome to operate, the Republic, the Empire. And it was a strong, powerful, ironclad kingdom. But then the feet, it starts to mingle with clay. And we know from Jeremiah that God calls his people the clay in the hands of the potter. And when you get to Roman times, there's two kind of intermingled kingdoms in Jerusalem. There's the kingdom of the Jews and the kingdom of the Romans. That's why they say Herod, king of the Jews. And when Jesus is being crucified, they say we have no king but Caesar, the Roman emperor. And Daniel says, in the time of those kings, in the Roman times, here's what God's going to do. He's going to take a stone with no human He's going to cut out that stone, and he's going to demolish all the other kingdoms. Then that stone is going to grow to be a mountain, and that mountain will cover the whole earth. This is Daniel talking 600 years before Jesus ever comes. And he's basically outlining outlining the entire history of the world from 600 B.C. to the time of Jesus. In 44, here's what he says. In the days of those kings, again, these are the kings of the feet mixed with clay, the iron mixed with clay. In the days of those kings, God of heaven will set up a kingdom, check this out, that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone, somebody say stone. A stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. And that's exactly what happened in the history of the world. After the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians, after the Medes and Persians, the Greeks, after the Greeks, the Romans, and in the time of the Roman census, a virgin 
gives birth to someone who was not created by a human hand. And Jesus would grow up and announce to the people of his day in Matthew chapter 21, verse 42, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures the stone, somebody say stone, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes, verse 44, and the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. And the interpretation is this. Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom's coming and going. The Medes are coming and going. The Persians are coming and going. The Greeks are coming and going. The, and, the, and the Romans are coming and going. But there's going to be a kingdom established by God. And it will never stop. It will never be destroyed. It will never be thwarted. It will last for eternity. And it will cover the whole earth. And you and I are part of that kingdom here today. It's an everlasting kingdom. An everlasting kingdom. That, that stretches out beyond eth ethnicities, beyond generations. There's no other movement like this. Do you understand? You could have a, a, a good, long conversation with somebody in Australia who you've never met before about Jesus. Do you understand how that works? That's the power of being part of the kingdom that God established. And on every country, every continent in the world today, there is a witness for the kingdom of God. And you're part of that. Exactly what Daniel said came to pass. Then verse 46, King Nebuchadnezzar responds. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel. This Babylonian king is worshiping this Jewish Daniel and, and, and it says, and it commanded that an offering and incense, notice incense, be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel, check this out, high honors and many great, what? gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel faces his trouble with a better response, a response of faith, because he has better resources, friends, and prayer. And thirdly, on your notes, Daniel experiences a greater reward. Now listen to me. In one day, Daniel goes from facing death to the right-hand side of the king of the world. One day. And I want to point something else out to you. Maybe you saw it when we read it, but I'll, read it, I'll show you again. Verse, the, verse 18 tells us, that when Daniel gets together with his three friends to pray, he asks them to seek mercy from the God of heaven so that they might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men. Then Daniel gets the mystery. Here's the dream interpretation from God. Then goes back to the king's guard and says, I don't want you to kill any of the wise men. 
Why the difference? Daniel's heart has been changed, and he wants to spare these men. And I was praying about the scripture this week, and the Lord showed me something as I was praying about the message, and God just put it in my heart. He said, this is why I gave Daniel the dream and his interpretation, because I wanted to save those wise men. And then the Lord took me to Matthew chapter 2. When Jesus is born in Bethlehem, it says, after he was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east, and Babylon is to the east of Israel. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. And later on in verse 10, they, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped. Just like Nebuchadnezzar does to Daniel, they fall down and worship him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense. Remember the incense of Nebuchadnezzar? Gold, gifts, and myrrh. That gold was used by Mary, Joseph, and Jesus to flee from Herod's decree to kill the children in Bethlehem. And that gold was keeping them stable in Egypt and brought them all the way back to Nazareth. And without those wise men, there's no gold to make that happen. And without Daniel, there's no wise men to bring the gold. Never, ever discount the generational difference that you can make when you respond to your troubled times with faith. And we know ultimately that our true and better Daniel is Jesus. The whole Bible is about Jesus, friends. That like Daniel, he faced death. And like Daniel, on the night before his death, he got with his three friends and prayed. But unlike Daniel, God put him to death. But like Daniel, you raised him up to life again. And in one day, he went from death to the right-hand side of God the Father. And he did this. Same, for the same reason that Daniel was given the dream interpretation, so that Daniel could save those wise men, and God sent Jesus to the cross and raised him up again so that God could save you. And all the people who are far from God. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. I want you to stand with me.